We've been working on Create the Village for some time. Both the design and production of this podcast predated the COVID-19 crisis. However, we decided to push pause for the moment on the original show design so that we could launch with this three-part series. We're conducting these interviews by phone because we're honoring the social distancing protocols. I hope you are too. I am Egbert Perry, and this is Create the Village. The CARES Act is part of Washington, D.C.'s response to the economic calamity caused by COVID-19. The act includes a 120-day eviction moratorium for tenants in properties that are part of government programs or that have a federally-backed mortgage loan. It includes a $300 billion direct cash stimulus for families. A family of four earning less than $150,000 a year can expect a payment of about $3,400. There's also a program called Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation, which provides a bump for people who file for unemployment. Those who file will receive $600 per week in addition to whatever they would normally receive for about four months. They say the beginning is easy. It's the continuing that's hard. My name is Egbert Perry, and I'm the founder and CEO of The Integral Group, and this is Create the Village, a podcast that provides a platform where leaders from the private, public, and nonprofit sectors come together to speak candidly about the challenges facing American cities, to voice their ideas, and to provide examples of innovative and sustainable initiatives that are working in American cities. In part one, Mark Calabria, the director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency, discussed his agency's new policy to provide eviction suspension relief for renters in multifamily properties. If you missed the episode, please go back and listen to the discussion. Calabria is a very smart, capable administrator, and he sits in an increasingly important seat. In this next interview, I will speak with Deidre Woolard, an editor at Million Acres, a division of Motley Fool. She has researched and written about the sometimes disconnected state-by-state responses to COVID-19, and impact on renters. She makes her research publicly available and accessible online. If you go to our Facebook page, Create the Village, you'll find a link to her report there. She's been updating the information daily. Her research involves reviewing a wide swath of city and state policies. And of course, some jurisdictions are embracing an active role while others are shying away. So I'm curious to know where she's seeing any trends, what surprised her, and whether her research leaves her disappointed or encouraged about government responses. Here's the conversation. Millionacres.com is actually a website that's about real estate investing. And so part of my motivation here was to be a service not just for renters, but also for landlords who are, who are dealing with a real problem here of not knowing what to do and wanting to do the right thing, but also having to, you know, to make their mortgages or, or, you know, pay for their expenses as well. So it's definitely something that 
that's been important. There's a lot of confusion right now in terms of what states are doing versus what counties are doing versus some of the things that have come out at the federal level. So there's just so much confusion about eviction moratoriums. I thought it made sense to to kind of break it out by state. Well, where, where do you publish your list? Because I've heard it referred to as well, but I've not actually gone online. Where is it published? So it's on millionacres.com. So Million Acres is um, one of the companies of The Motley Fool. And so it's millionacres.com, and there's a, a, a banner at the top for our uh, COVID-19 resources. Okay. Right. So, so the, what are you, when you think about what you're learning from the various trends that you've seen so far, uh, what, what about it has surprised you, if anything? And Similarly, I'll ask what's disappointed you and what's encouraged you in terms of what the, what the data shows. Well, I think what has been surprising me is that one of the things I feel is most important right now that isn't happening is that there's uh, not enough communication between the the cities and the states about what what is happening. And so you've got governors that are issuing executive orders but then the individual counties are a little bit confused about how to carry that out. So, for example, if you have an eviction in, in progress, is it is it paused? And so some of the eviction moratoriums say that you can't evict people. You can only pause evictions for issues of non-payment, but um, there are other issues that people evict for. So there is a lot of confusion out there about what people should do, and also from tenants about whether or not they should be paying rent. If they don't pay rent now, are they supposed to pay rent later? So one of the things that I noticed once I uh, started compiling this piece was that I, I put an email in there so that people could keep updating me, and I got a lot of questions from from renters, from landlords all over the country who are just really, really confused. Is there any jurisdiction you think is that's doing it well i think there are definitely a couple of cities and states that have taken some leadership roles obviously in new york you've got uh you've got a great governor who's made some good decisions i noticed that uh seattle's mayor jenny durkin she was got out ahead of this early i mean seattle was one of the first places uh in the united states that really saw the impact of this and so uh, she's been been at the forefront. She's been a housing advocate for a long time. But one of the things that I'm seeing now is now that we've got eviction moratoriums in place, we're starting to see more conversations about rent freezes. So Seattle City Council has been talking about rent freezes. Uh, Los Angeles City Council is also looking at rent freezes. I don't know if you've seen the uh, cancel rent movement that's been happening in New York, but there's a lot of different different pushes in different directions because really a, the amount of people that have lost their jobs is pretty staggering. And one of the things I think that's a little confusing is the difference between layoffs versus furloughs. So you have some companies that are just laying off people, but you have a lot of companies that are furloughing people, especially uh, restaurants, hospitality, Things, uh, malls, things like that. So, so you've got these workers that are, they're kind of on pause. So they're furloughed, which means that they can they can collect unemployment. They're getting their benefits, but they don't really know what their future is. And that, uh, by association, puts a 
whole ton of stress on the the real estate industry and on housing. So you know, one of the uh, and that's that's insightful. I never really spent a lot of time thinking about the di- difference between those two: the furloughed worker and the laid-off worker. Uh, but the reality is, so much of your expense is tied to your being able to continue to get. First, you get in, um, unemployment insurance. That's great. Um, you're not off the docket, so you, may, in fact, your insurance may still be fully intact and a lot of other things. But I am curious, and this is this is risky. My question is risky because I, I don't mean to suggest I have an answer, but I'm concerned about moral hazard as well. So when the announcements were being put out, okay, so you cannot evict anyone for non-payment of rent and so on. And I am a developer, own a number of apartments. And within days, we got a lot of letters from people saying, based on what I think may happen, I may not be able to pay my rent next month. And we were two or three days into the moratorium, I mean, into the announcement that a moratorium may be coming. And so then the question is, as you rightly pointed out at the beginning, when that person doesn't pay their rent, you have a landlord that's sitting there that has a mortgage to pay. And so depending on how many units are not paying rent, you could have a problem. You have a sense of any feedback that's informing that conversation. Absolutely. So uh, one of my friends is uh, at Avail, um, which is a rental property service, and they recently did a study on renters and landlords. And one of the things that they found was that landlords and tenants aren't really communicating with each other. So the survey was from a few weeks ago, but that at, um, before before the uh, April first. But about fifty percent of landlords hadn't issued any form of communication to their tenants with uh, solutions or ways to even the basics of you know uh, how to collect unemployment or something like that. So I think that's part of the issue is that it really needs to be a conversation, and sometimes it has to be on a person by person basis. So it's a lot of work for, you know, for someone who owns a, a large multifamily, you know, complex. I mean, that's, that's a lot of conversations to have. Well, you know, I was told by someone who you'd recognize by name, um, that regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And what, you know, they are not, they made a recent announcement about, um, basically offering, the freezing, let's say more moratoriums, but the presumption they had was that if you have a large property, maybe you'll get 3% or so, maybe 4 that may in fact not pay rent, and that if it's only a two-month problem, then they will suck it up, take the hit, meet their mortgage payment, and just give up on those economics for that two-month period of time, whatever that delta is. But if it goes beyond that, then they will start to see some hemorrhage in as well. And so I found that um, an interesting perspective. Obviously, the small property owners um, will have a challenge because any one unit is a significant percentage of, of their 
rental income. So as you collect data, are you triaging at all by size of communities, size of property? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, one of the things that we've also looked at, too, is uh, especially with larger buildings but also smaller buildings, is if people aren't paying rent, then you also don't have a budget for maintenance, for, you know, capital expenditures. Certainly larger developers are probably at this point stopping any any unnecessary capital expenditures. So, you know, if they were going to redo the pool, they're not going to redo the pool now. But if they have to fix the roof, they have to fix the roof. But, I mean, so so that's part of the issue. And another thing I think that's interesting is, I don't know if you looked at the CARES Act, but there was, uh, in there, there is forbearance for multifamily property owners, but it was 90 days versus the eviction moratorium, which is 120 days. So there's a little, there's a little bit of confusion in there. And of course, that, that moratorium is only for government-backed mortgages. That's right. Yeah, no, so you're saying that that just supports your comment earlier about the gaps in things are not aligned or synced up to be effective, so you end up having to learn a lot of different policies depending on where you are, even in the same general jurisdiction, but if you straddle a county and a city line, you may get different policies. What is there any that you find innovative? What's the most innovative policy or program you've come across in any of your research? You know, I thought that what Equity Apartments is doing was actually smart. They've kind of gotten ahead of it. Uh, even ahead of the any of the government laws, they immediately decided to pause uh, evictions for 90 days, and they're offering lease renewals with no increases, which I think is really smart. I think that that's one of the things uh, landlords and uh, developers can do to kind of get ahead of this is if they've got, you know, to lock in the tenants that they have, the good-paying tenants, and one of the things that they can do is really is double down on keeping people who are able to pay and working with people who are having a temporary issue and really being as as open and as communicative as possible. So I think that what you see here, any situation like this where it's where it's massive like this, you have the government and then you also have private capital. And so the ways that government and private capital can work together in the next few months are going to be so important. You see the same thing with banks. You see like Bank of America and, and Wells Fargo on the mortgage side working working with the government on different aspects of mortgage forbearance. So I really think that in order for us to all get through this, you really have to have government and and private private industry talking to each other and working together. So, so, and is it, I guess it's too early to tell whether others are going to follow that lead um, and adopt that approach. More developers, more property owners. That, is that an accurate statement? Because they just did that what two weeks ago, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of a lot of uh, property owners were in a kind of wait and see mode. I think sometimes some of the bigger some of the bigger uh, developers may have more access to more data, more more analytics. You know, maybe they have a, used a couple of paid services that might give them a bigger window. But if you're a smaller investor, you probably don't have access to that, or you may not think about that as much. So if you are, and also if you're in a smaller town, 
you may not be paying as much attention to the news. You know, at first, when this started, it seemed like a big city problem. So one of the things that we're seeing now as this expands is it's going into smaller towns that are less prepared for this. And in those smaller towns, sometimes you have smaller mom and pop, you know, investors with, you know, smaller apartment complexes or maybe a modest portfolio of a few single family rentals and they're not prepared for this. So that's, that's a real concern is that making sure that everyone gets the information and knows what resources are available. For one thing, if you have a rental business, can you get a small business, small business administration disaster loan? That's another thing that some people can take advantage of in order to help them if, if their tenants can't pay rent right now. And that, that actually has not been publicized nearly as much. I guess it doesn't hit as many people or doesn't um, immediately feel like a, an individual-by-individual pocketbook issue because I've been surprised at how little there is in the in the conversation out there about that as a form of relief. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think part of the issue there was that in the beginning, the grants were being rolled out on a state-by-state basis and the governors had to apply. I think that's shifted now. But I think it definitely is, is an information. There's definitely been information bottlenecks at, at every stage. Another project that I'm working on right now, which I haven't published yet because it's still early stages, is property taxes. So that's another concern for for uh, for everyone, really. And it's another case of certain cities are trying to make rules and then states are coming out with different rules. So there's a lot of confusion around that as well. Wow. Yeah, it, it does make the case that we'll be seeing this problem for quite a while in the downstream manifestations of the problem that we're not thinking about today, but the ripple effect is going to be long-lasting. You know, unrelated to real estate, I I think I have heard that you've been doing some thinking about the lasting impact uh, the health and economic crisis will have on our economy and how it will change the behaviors, the purchasing behaviors of so many of us. Is there what's in the forecast for us, and is it possible to get a sneak preview of what that's telling you? Well, one of the things I'm thinking about a lot right now is that old saying that says that it takes about three weeks to change a habit. So what we're seeing is everybody is kind of going through a forced habit shift. So all of the things that we usually do, we're we're not doing. And so the question that I'm asking and a lot of people are asking is, if if we all change our habits for, let's say, two months and then we come out of this, do we go back to our own ha- our old habits? And if so, how fast? You already had a shift, I think, in, in the restaurant industry, certainly, toward what they call cloud kitchens and delivery services and less of that in-service restaurant. And so that is probably going to continue. Obviously, we had e-commerce putting a ton of pressure on on malls and retail. So like Simon Property Group, they already have furloughed about 30% of their people because their malls can't open. And you had Cheesecake Factory telling telling their land, telling their uh, landlords that they weren't going to pay rent on April 1st. So we're already starting to see what's going to happen. The question really does remain is what if people don't go back to the but the gym, for example, what if they've just, they've learned how to do workouts at home that they, they they've become comfortable with that? 
you start to see industries change. Or going to the cinema. That's another one. That's a that's a big one right now, especially because you have you've seen some of the 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 movie premieres happen online. So some some of the major movies have been delayed six months, and so they're going to have their premiere in the theaters. But some of the movies they just released straight online where you could buy them, and so that's a really good question. Does that change? I mean, already we all already that industry was feeling a lot of pressure. So I think any industry that was feeling this kind of this kind of pressure has sort of seen it accelerate so rapidly. They may have been preparing for okay, this is a gradual shift that's going to take place over years, maybe even a decade, and instead it's now in you know in hyperspeed mode. Well, Deidre, if you want one more data point, um, I can tell you that an old guy like me, I am already improving my technology skills right now because I don't need to be in the office as much as I used to be. I thought I did, um, but I'm getting a lot of work done from my home. So I think you're right. I, I think that's pretty insightful that we are maybe making some permanent shifts. Uh, some of it will revert, but some of it will be with us moving forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, offices is a great example. We've all learned to work remotely, so, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see how much office-based companies require in the future. So, well, so what, so then mo- moving back to the front, and this is just a sort of a last question, where do you see this, your current work that we were discussing at the beginning on the impact of the moratoriums and so on, where do you see that? taken us? Is it informing policy real time or is it um, what what's being done with the data? You, you've been cited a couple of times in pretty prominent places, but are you getting calls to sort of mine the data and help inform policymakers? Uh, I haven't been asked to work with policymakers. Mostly what I've been doing is actually just reaching out to individuals and one of the things I just want to say about that is that the housing authorities are a tremendous resource. And I know that they're all working double time right now and they're all working from home without, without, you know, without access to a lot of their files, but really the, at the local level, so much is happening. So I think that's, that's a tremendous resource for people. And I know that everyone in the housing authorities that I've talked to are, are so dedicated to helping people find answers and really, you know, and, and finding shelter if, if it comes to that. So I think those are really important resources for everyone right now. Excellent. Thank you. This was a great conversation. Create the Village is produced by Rick White, directed and edited by Brennan Robison. Create the Village is a production of The Integral Group, LLC. Copyright The Integral Group, 2020.